Welcome back to the All The Things Podcast with Luke Tim. My guest today, Duncan, um, joined me and we had a conversation about um, sex and marriage. And this is kind of a part one of a couple of podcasts that we're going to do because this is such a big topic. But today specifically, I wanted to talk about something that I get a lot of questions about um, from dudes, from guy friends. And it has to do with... Uh, sex once married and when it just sort of seems like the spark has left the relationship. So we do talk about that, but we talk about all the things. Um, and the podcast starts with, uh, I just finished telling a funny story about mutual friends of ours um, from before I knew Duncan in college and it was a trip. So this starts out kind of goofy talking about pranks and stuff, but I think it was fun. So I hope you enjoy it. I sure enjoy talking to Duncan and uh, plan on having him back again next week to get into a little bit more um, detail on things like gender, um, sex, uh, same-sex marriage, all sorts of different things when it comes to to sexuality in the world and culture today. So uh, here he is, my friend Duncan. Please give it up. Duncan's here. Duncan! Oh, Hi, Luke. You never want to be the college kid with a truck. You never want to be the college kid with a truck. Just ask Dave Stevens. I just told one of my favorite stories from college ever. And uh, I'm going to take a picture on Instagram with you because I want to advertise. There he is. Look at there's Duncan. Yay. So Dave Stevens had a truck. Dave We're Stevens talking, had a truck. We started this talking about your new truck. Indeed. It's a, it's a truck. I have a truck. What nickname did you end up giving the truck? We have not yet fully decided, but we're really leaning towards Clifford, Clifford the Big Red Truck. Uh, My wife is upset because um, I've drilled it into her head for years that truck or any vehicle is a girl. The name needs to be a female name. And um, yeah, Clifford's not a female name. But Clifford the Big Red Truck is just such a great name. (laughs) It just really is. You put ears on it. <laughs> yeah. My son, uh, my four-year-old son wants to name it um, uh, Awesome. He's just like, oh, let's call it Awesome. He's four. I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah, no. It's not a great He's going to have to learn to live with disappointment. No, Clifford, Clifford's better. So we were talking about your truck, and that got us talking about trucks in general, which then got us talking about the college truck. Yeah. Yeah, college trucks. And bad the dead move. deer and, and jail time. Yeah, Phil. I wonder what happened to Phil. Right now you're thinking, do I want to retell the whole story for the podcast or do I just want to be like, yeah, the truck, let's move on. What do you think, Duncan? Should I tell that story? Let's move on. Okay. Because <laughs> it's a long story. <laughs> it's, it's a great story. Yeah. It's a great story. Yeah. So note, note to anyone listening, if you're going to do a prank, don't involve a dead deer, a friend's truck, and was it a dining hall? No, it was Wittenberg dorm. Yeah. A dorm. Okay. Just dragged up into the dorm room. Not familiar with the Concordia Mequon campus. Yeah. It really, I think the point of that story is um, (laughs) you've got to learn how to take a prank and and just embrace it when somebody pulls Or people go to jail. Yeah. Just relax, everybody. And you don't have to respond right away. 
Um, so I've got like this ongoing um, prank war with my brothers, and I, I'm due to prank them now, and it's been about two years. It's hard to believe. Yeah. it's uh, the, So the last prank that was pulled was my brother Scott and my brother Matt, independently of one another, without each other's knowledge, both pooped in a mm. sandwich bag and hid it in my van. <laughs> and then they discovered, because they told each other about it, my brother Scott was like, I gotta tell you, I pooped in a bag <laughs> and put it in Luke's car, and my brother Matt goes, so did I! <laughs> it was at Thanksgiving. But the thing, so Thanksgiving, I didn't find that bag of poop until Valentine's. So somewhere in, right around Valentine's Day, sometime in February. From December to February, I had a bag of poop in my van that I didn't Two. know about. No, I found the one, which was the best part of the prank because I found one and I was like, like "Ha, hey, Bush League, you can't, you gotta hide a bag of poop Smell's better than go that. Away any, yeah. any day now, any day now." <laughs> well, it stayed cold enough that it wouldn't smell very often. So every now and then, I get my car, be like, "Man, I must have farted or something." <laughs> it smells like crap in here. <laughs> so finally, my brother he had to tell me, and I was like, "You son of a <laughs> yeah." So yeah, that was interesting. Are you done Instagramming? Not yet. You keep interrupting me. I'm just – so here's my post. Is two hours of sex with Duncan on a Friday? Yes, please. Mm. <laughs> that should go over well. <laughs> right? Uh, but yeah, that's kind of – So the, poop in a minivan brings us to our topic of not today. Really. <laughs> kind of, no, but what I wanted to um, – there is no segue. There is no segue from <laughs> pooping in a sandwich bag. I tell that story to people and they look at me and go, are, are your brothers monsters? And I go, no, no, that's funny. So, people I know are like, I would kill my brother if he pooped in a bag and put it in my van. I was like, eh, I deserved it. I mean, I had pulled a couple of pretty good pranks on them. So I mean, I was asking for it. It's and fine. This is this is an art an art form because um, when I was back in Pittsburgh, we had a youth group and wanted, we wanted to do a service project, so we called up Chuck Johnson because Chuck has to make it into every podcast. It's <laughs> a good plan. And, and he was the director of some camp in Illinois. It was it was not a good camp. <laughs> and he was the director out there, so we came out, and it's the last day we're at camp. I'm like, all right, guys, you know the director is kind of a buddy of mine. Like, you guys need to do some pranks. We're leaving at eight in the morning. You need to do pranks. And they give me this like blank stare of like, you want us to do what? (laughs) Pranks. They had no idea how to do pranks. Uh. So So we we parked Chuck's golf cart on on the raft, on the the dock and shoved the – it was one of those docks in the middle of the lake and we put his golf cart on there. And then – so we're like, okay, now we need to leave because – the staff's going to wake up. They're going to see the golf cart and all the other boats. We moved out into the middle of the lake. <laughs> like, we need to go. Someone's going for a swim. Right. So we need to go. So somehow we had a radio of all the radio that's going on with the staff. And one by one, have you seen the golf cart? No. Do you know? Guys, know, guys we, need to, we need to load up. Like right now, we need to go. We get on the road about a half hour. I get the call from Chuck, you son of a gun. <laughs> Not the best part. The best part was the call I got three days later. We finally figured out how to get the go <laughs> Oh, that's great. But the kids didn't know how to do that. They didn't. They needed to have the old man teach them, like, this is a good prank. Yeah. Nobody's going to die. Might be a little disruptive, but you need to do this. Yeah, total inconvenience is the way to go. 
Or humiliation is another awkwardness. Good one. Awkwardness. Yeah. Right. Like we, I was at a, another camp, right? So, and there was a kid. I'd been on staff, but their couple has been on staff like four summers. So we were kind of the kings of kings of staff. And there was a guy. Uh, he sang in chapel, and second year on staff thought he was a ladies' man. All this, we're like this. He needs to be taken down a couple notches. So we, during chapel, may have broken into his room and taken all of his underwear and mailed it to all the <laughs> married and foreign exchange students on staff with little love notes attached to it so that all during the day these women would come up to him, I think this is yours. <laughs> That's great. I, uh, so when we I'm, just, trying, I'm trying to get us to, to, to the marriage topic with this thing, the underwear and the women and the right. I'm trying to <laughs> stretch us I, gotta, so, I don't know if I ever told you this. When we were – oh, this one's – okay. So I, I used to pull a lot of pranks on Dean Rockman, which is a great idea because he's a man who could kill me with his bare hands um, and the dean of students. So both of those things are – Was this the year that he kicked – like not kicked out, that mysteriously one student a week was – Removed from the seminary program. I kind of did it after that. Second year. Yeah, Second year? I, I did it. All of the all of my real shenanigans with him started after that because I felt bad for him and I, I wanted it to have some joy in his life. And and I figured he seemed. I mean, as scary and terrifying as he was, uh, I believe he was a marine, right? Or his. I know his son's a marine. He looked like he had that like yeah. intense. Oh, he's a scary man. But I, I just he had wasn't this, scary. I see that's the thing. Like he looked terrifying, but I felt like he probably had some sense of. But if he liked you, it wasn't scary. It was like good. Go get the other people. Yeah, because you knew he wasn't coming for you. <laughs> so, gosh, I got so many Dean Rockman stories. <laughs> so now I have to. Did you trash his lake house? Was that you? No, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one I wasn't going to tell because it can. Yeah, it was the one I wasn't invited to. So that would be Luke Tim. You would have with, been invited. You just weren't around or something that weekend. That wasn't cool. It's okay. You weren't cool then? No. Did I not like you at that point? We kept that one pretty tight because that one was close that to was, breaking. That was special. Entry. Yeah. That was yeah, special. We have. We have I, I, I probably wouldn't have gone. <laughs> yeah. I gave him a picture of that. We Chris graduated. Morris was there, right? Morris was that a Morris? There. That that did not lead to his expulsion. <laughs> no, that, no. <laughs> the ice machine did. Yes. No, that that one. I had a picture Sorry. of all of us holding. He had this like decorative <laughs> rock that said "Welcome to the Rockmans," and I'm holding it, and there's all the guys around us. We're at his lake cabin, and uh, we'd been, you know, jet, we brought a jet ski with us. Um, we're grilling out, drinking beer, and I. I handed it to him with, uh, by the way, I also ordained him online. <laughs> so on call day, walking across, you shake hands, they hand you your call documents. I handed him his. <laughs> so he was ordained in like the online church of something or other. Uh, so great. So I haven't checked, but I haven't checked for years. But he used to be able to go online and find Larry Rockman's name on their ordination list. It was great. So, but there was this picture in there, and uh, afterwards he walks up to me and he's holding this picture and he's looking at me, going, "This is my home." And I was like, "It is." When was this? It was like two years ago. It was great. Thanks for the memories. He's like, "What?" So yeah, that was. But I used to sign him up 
Um, late night drinking beer, you know, commercials come on for uh, for a free sample of Valtrex or for more information on Valtrex or something for herpes. <laughs> Larry Rockman, but I'd always send it to the campus, not his home address, because I wanted to go through the mailroom. <laughs> so he got a lot of – but I got signed up when we were in the seminary. I thought this was brilliant. I got um, – somebody signed me up for – it must have been one free issue. I don't know because I only ever got one, but I got a Playboy in the mail, in the mail room at the seminary. And I just remember, you know, those little metal boxes, pop mm-hmm. the thing. I'm like, oh, it's, it's just junk mail. And they pull it out and I'm surrounded by students. I mean, it's, it's and I was mail like, time. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> Damn it. Which one of my asshole friends? Oh, it was pretty good. It was well done. See, and that's that's the thing is you can't get mad about a prank. You got to embrace that thing, uh, enjoy it, and just find out who did it and then bide your time. And so, yeah, yeah, the the whole thing with the poop in the car that was from a prank I pulled a year or two before that when I um, made my older brother Matt eat cat food that I had mixed in with hash, corned beef hash, because he loves corned beef hash. We were going camping, so I spent like four weeks testing out cooking canned cat food to see which one looked the most like cooking corned beef hash. <laughs> so I put a lot of thought and effort into it. So I cooked up a bunch of cat food and fed it to him. Not the dry stuff, the the, the wet, mushy cat food. Yeah, because if, if you know what corned beef hash looks yeah, like, yeah. it looks like cat food. And so, so you're trying to replicate the the corned beef in the hash, yep. not the not the like little potato square. Because I was thinking dry cat food, little squares. Oh no, this is this, like you're going for the red. Yeah, and nice. so I kept it like one quarter um, corned beef hash and then three quarters cat food, and served up a big plate to him. How far did he get into it before he was like a long ways? And then I, in fact, I had to interrupt him and be, be like, "That tastes pretty good, meow." <laughs> <laughs> And then after that, I had so I had a bunch of follow up pranks where I had like um, uh, a cat collar with his name on it. Um, at we so we had dinner. Every family had a dinner. So my family dinner night, um, I had bought in advance uh, cat bowls. We were all in South Dakota camping, so I, I bought this cat dish and I had it said mittens Tim and I had his birthday on it. And so I served him his dinner in a cat bowl. And so it was like it was that huge prank, and then like five follow up pranks that were pretty good. <laughs> All related to the fact that he ate cat food. In fact, if he calls me today on my phone, it still says mittens. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bad person. <laughs> uh, my oh. other brother calls me, it says hippie on it because he's a hippie. It's good times. And I changed. I also changed his phone. <laughs> so my contact is it says Batman on it. And it used to be, I don't know if it still does, but it used to be when the phone, when I called him, my ringtone was na 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 na. So Batman would call him. I changed it. Yeah, st- All right, we need to stop talking about the sh- stupid pranks I pulled on my brothers and move on. I'm sitting over here with a list of pranks. Like, I want to tell this story and this story, and this, but that's not why we're here. It isn't why we're here. We're here because um, I really wanted to have two hours of sex with Duncan on a Friday morning. Drinking coffee. Yeah, optional, but yeah, absolutely. So where do you want to start? I don't know. We're like 20 minutes in. <laughs> um, here's where I want to start. and Here's, here's where we're doing it. Um, doing it. See what I did there? You're going to ask me some penetrating questions. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> that, 
that makes this all worth it just right there. Um, in the last like six months, I have probably had. I'm going to be careful because I know some of these some of these people listen to this podcast. So I'm going to be careful. So scrubbing all events surrounding it so identities are protected. I've had um, probably six or seven conversations with good Christian men and their struggles with their sex lives, specifically with um, their wives. That's and, good. That's uh, Yeah. 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 Nothing like adultery or, or anything. It's It's more like – the spark isn't there. Where'd the sex go, man? <laughs> Where'd the sex go? And I think one of, the, one of the things I wanted to try and get my my thoughts organized on is the um, – how do you say it? Just Just the, the myths and the unfortunate stereotypes around men and sex that still persist to this day. I think that um, – Has my wife talked to you before? No, just, <laughs> I talk to your wife all the time, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> your wife is out of my league. I don't know how you landed your wife. She's hot. Uh huh. That's weird. She's cool. She's she's yeah. I don't know what's wrong with her. I she have a disability? <laughs> she, what's her IQ? Some sort of vision. <laughs> Bad vision. Low standard. Yeah. No. I yeah. So I, I def, it was it was worth the wait. So how is how is your sex life? <laughs> you brought her up. <laughs> Did I? You you asked me if your wife had talked to me, and I said, "Oh, well, you were talking about the myth, the legend." And I thought, well, maybe no. I so so so. <laughs> this is not where you thought this was, podcast was going to go, <laughs> which I enjoyed. <laughs> no, but I mean, I think that is something that I mean when when I'm doing marriage counseling with. Uh, with couples coming in, you know, you, you listen to them saying, what are their expectations, right? In, in marriage. And there's this, there's this thing of like, it's going to be this honeymoon forever. And you get into the, you get on the hamster wheel, right? And so you get, you get married and all of a sudden you're getting older, right? So the T scores, yeah, right. And you, you add on top of that. Now you got to work, you got your career, you got, uh, well, Lord blesses you with kids right there. That's a, that's a lot of work right there. You're tired, man. End of the day rolls around. You're like, I, I'd love to go for a little romp in the sack, but man, I'm, I want to go to sleep. Yeah. You know, and it's, and, and it's, I don't know. I mean, is it just a combination of those factors? Is it, is it, I'm tired, I'm old, whatever. So in, in my, um, conversations and in my own personal experience, I've always found that, um, I can be pretty tired and, <laughs> still find the, the energy three minutes I need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think there is this, so when I was trying to talk to this one guy, I said, you know, uh, most women, I think at some point kind of come to the conclusion that um, their husbands are just about sex. Um, I don't think that, that women use sex as a weapon against their husbands, at least not in these cases. I mean, I'm sure that that happens, but I think that oftentimes um, men and sexuality, it finally kind of gets to this point where women get sick of it. You know, after 10 years of marriage, they're like, all you ever want is is to just screw. You don't want anything else. That, that's all I'm good for. That's all. That's, and it then it becomes this battle of, you know, like this resource. There is this... 
it, it becomes a um, valued resource and a commodity that um, they're entirely in control of. Uh, and I, I had that conversation with my wife when we were first married. I said, you got to understand something that th- there's this weird dynamic that God's created where you are 100% in control of this thing that I 100% want more than you. <laughs> like, this is, this is not fair. <laughs> like, it's a cruel joke on God's part. He gave all the drive. Well, I mean, speaking general generalities, he gave a bunch of the drive, most of the drive to men and all of the, the power over it to women and that, I think, is just this potential disaster for a, a marriage. But I don't, I don't know why, um, for the most part. I, I think that, you know, in that conversation with that guy, I said, you know, um, most women want this sort of connectedness and, and deep relationship out of, their, out of their marriage. And that comes, in a way, before sex. You know, that those are the things of um, back rubs, foot rubs, walks in the park, um, all, all of those. That's sort of an emotional thing that leads to sex. So all day foreplay leads to three minutes of <laughs> glory. <laughs> right. Whereas for guys, it's kind of a spur of the moment like, you know? Well, and I think, I think um, the myth is for men that it's all physical, that 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 we don't have all of that holding hands, walking in the park, and and all of that stuff. That that's that that experience doesn't exist for men. That we're just about the physical nature of it, just about the getting busy. And I I try to convince my wife of this, and I I think she, well, I think I think most women kind of go, no, you're just a horn dog, and it's like no. Sex for me, and I think for most men, leads us to that place of emotional connectedness. Because um, that's that's what the, the part I enjoy the most out of sex is the the reconnection, the deepening of the relationship. It's just this profound, the two becoming one, and it's – I mean that's the best part. But we get that from sex, not leading to sex. You've put more thought into this than I have. Um, but yeah, I mean I think about sex all the time. <laughs> right now actually. Um, no, it, it's – it's uh, this is something that you know. my wife is the only person that, that I've experienced this with, right? So, so that's unique and, 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 and as such does do a lot to strengthen the marriage outside of those three minutes of glory. Right. right? And I think for a lot of couples, this isn't us. I mean we're, we're fine. We're fine in the McClellan household. But, but it's – I think a lot of reasons why couples struggle for intimacy is they don't love each other anymore. Yeah. Right? I mean let's, let's get to the root of the, of the issue. A lot of couples, the only thing keeping them together is it's good for our kids for us to stay married. Yep. And I think as a uh, – let, let me pull back 30,000-foot view – you read what's – can we talk about the Bible on your podcast or since it's no longer the church podcast? By all means. No, it's <clears throat> all the things. All right. So, <laughs> no. So I mean Paul's very clear that for Christians – and I don't think this is just because the church is being persecuted in Corinth. Um, he's like, uh, it's good for you not to get married. Only get married if you're burning with passion and you're going to – like you, you need to have sex. Yeah. Right? And as a church, we kind of are telling people – uh, you need to get married. It is good for a man to marry. Yeah. And you should marry because look at all the other people that are married and you stick out. Are you gay? What's, I mean, like. And you need to have babies because our church needs to grow. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
I read, uh, why did I do this? Greg, Greg Griffith posted something, what was it, yesterday, two days ago. And I usually don't read his things, not that I don't want to. It's just he's a jerk. 24 Nobody hours in a day. Yeah. Right. I love you, Greg. <laughs> he knows it. He's a good guy. But I read one of his, and yeah, so that he posted about that yesterday. And, and yeah, that's, that's our solution. More. More babies in white affluent areas so we can send money to churches in poor, dark areas. Yep. Right. 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 So. Go church. Uh, but no, getting back. What are we talking? So I think we are doing people a disservice in the church by not encouraging people to remain celibate and single. I don't disagree with that. That marriage is like, are you sure? Instead of like, go for it. Yes, go. You're going to die old and alone. Right. That marriage, people, it says it in our agenda book, marriage should not be entered into inadvisedly or lightly. Yeah. And if you can say no to it, say no to it. Because, um, I mean, I think in my, my experience with Alyssa, it was one of those like, well, I mean, to your point, like, uh, yes, um, we dated for three months before we got engaged. Because it was one of those, right. we're going to get married. This is it. There's no doubt. This. See, if the couples coming in were like, we're going to be engaged for two and a half years, like, you like like if I see something that I want I'm not like yeah I'm gonna go buy that in two and a half years right like I want that now right (laughs) I don't want to wait I and I think we've encouraged people and and whether they listen to us or not like whatever but I think there's a church culture where you should get married yes and there's a stigma on single people um and I think more so on on women and it's so hard to combat that that stigma because I don't I don't actually feel like I, I, I think it is great. A single woman, we have uh, a woman in our church who is, I mean, she's phenomenal in every way. She's young, talented. Um, she's uh, on our council, on the call team. Um, she works for an awesome nonprofit organization. Like as far as life goes, she's killing it. And she's single. Now she's been dating a dude for a while and, and I've got some suspicions. Um, no pressure. Any, if you're listening, but, you know, there's this – you can just kind of feel the church and, and members of the church have a, like almost this – We're nudging. And they just kind of feel like sad, like, oh. What's wrong with you? Mary. That's so sad. Like, no, it's not. She's killing life. She's, she's happy. She's fulfilled. She's living an awesome life. So we, we encourage people to get married. Maybe they shouldn't or just marriage in general and maybe we should say it's a station in life. It's a, it's a blessing as is being single. Right. And the whole vocation thing. And so – and then when people get married, we also haven't done a good job of the idea – people are selfish, right? I mean this is not – this is not groundbreaking. And I'm marrying you because of what you can do for me. Right. Well, What do you bring to the table? (laughs) Right. That's not exactly the way Paul describes it in Ephesians, (laughs) right? Uh, You need to be like Christ to your wife in that it's all about her serving you like – no, no, right? So, <laughs> it's the other uh, way around, jackass. And w- wives control your husbands, <laughs> keep them on a leash, right? So, um, so our church planter Aaron's brother Justin Hanneman is a is a PhD counselor, and Aaron reminds me of what Justin tells his couples when they come in. So this is like I'm probably the telephone game butchering this, but Justin will tell these married couples that come in, "Don't tame my lions," to the woman. Cool, because I think a lot of women when they get married, like. Um, he's a fixer-upper, like, you know, I need to get him trained and all that. Like, right. no, you don't. Yeah. 
No, you don't. You need to set him free. You need to let him be a lion. And I might need to pause here. This guy's going to have a question. Yeah. What's up? Um, I'm with the glass company. Yep. And I just wanted to let you know, we had a little problem with the uh, stained glass, how it was mounting in the new frames. So we're redoing that. Okay. So we're going to have plywood over one of the openings. For the, Not a problem. For the weekend. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Thank you. We'll be back on Monday. All righty. Thank you. Just a update on our window replacement. <laughs> I need a studio for this stuff, man. That's what it boils down to. But I, so you, I agree. You, you, you with need this. a Patreon. I need to do Patreon. We'll See if get there. Well, I was talking to Doug last week about this, and I for this podcast, what I want to just just love better it. coffee. Just give us five bucks so we can go and get some better coffee. I've while got, we, I've while got we do some this. Starbucks cold stuff in the fridge. No, it's good. They hate black so. people. They do. They also hate gun carriers. Yeah. And so, yeah. Why are you supporting them? Uh, I don't know because I just don't care. <laughs> back back to Taming the Lions. I love that that phrase. Um, and it's. I don't think it's even – I don't think it's even always that intentional. I don't think women necessarily think like, like in the front of their minds, like kind of in the back of their minds subconsciously they think, well, you know, we're going to get married and settle down, which means he will – be more like he'll be nice. me. That's what it is. I I see when so I just listened to a song this morning and my buddy forwarded me about um, a guy who is, is the song is about taking back people's man cards for you know changing yeah. after they yeah. get married. So um, I think there is this sense that that women have um, this settled down. They'll be different after they're married. And start to just kind of press and influence in that direction. And it's so incredibly dissatisfying. This is the thing is that usually when we get the thing that we think we want in a relationship, we're incredibly disappointed by it. And I think the reason is <clears throat> that what we think we want is somebody more like us, which is never what attracted us to that person in the first place. I mean what attracts a, a woman to another man is usually – the masculine parts. It's <laughs> that was entirely not on purpose. Phrasing not, not completely untrue, um, <laughs> right? But it's it's you're it's, blushing. This is great. I've never seen this. Poop in a bag's no big deal, but man, you talk about man parts, Luca. Bright red. That was funny. So women are attracted to – yeah, I mean my wife, my wife was completely attracted to my man parts. Let's see if we can get him to blush again. <laughs> man parts. Um, <laughs> but it, but it, it's the masculine stuff. It's it's the hard edges. It's the you know the uh, aggressive or – I mean just whatever it is, is – whatever you want to put in that category of masculine. But then you get married and some of those things, uh, they, they get old. And and just kind of try and soften a little bit those edges, and then you end up. I think a lot in a lot of marriages, women end and the guys up, buy into it because they think this equals more sex. Yes, <laughs> yes. If I if I do my nails nice, if I settle down, <laughs> if I become nice, if I if I give them what they want, that'll if if I give them what they're telling me to do, that'll make them happy. That'll lead to more sex. Yeah. When really the women resent when the guys become who they are trying to make them into. Right. And and so th- this is the thing. I mean, we're talking about. I so my, my wife actually likes it when I go out and buy cars without consulting her first. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> huh? <I'm> stunned. <laughs> <laughs> right. So 
yeah, and then and then for so what's the flip side? What do we try to get them to do that makes them? How do we tame tame them? No, we're not trying to. I think men don't try to tame women as much as they try to um, encourage them. With you know, men tend to have more, uh, be less risk averse. We do more risky things, so we're we're trying to get them to be adventurous, or we're trying to. So I I see a lot of couples who struggle with that. That they were kind of hoping that they were getting married and going on an adventure, and we would this and this, and their wives are um, seeking security. Their wives are seeking. Um, which I mean, it, it makes sense if you, if you consider the biology of it all. Of uh, a woman, the proclivity towards children, raising children, they want stability, they want security and safety in a home, and the, the white picket fence, and all of that stuff to um, to raise a brood. You know, I mean, that's just kind of biologically wired. And I, I'm going to catch shit for that. I know it, <laughs> but I don't care because it's freaking true. <laughs> At the end of the day, biology um, actually has something to do with sex and gender. You know, if you were aware of that, why, why are you so anti-science? <laughs> right. so, yeah, and and uh, mm. well, I'm just thinking through. You asked me why did Alyssa fall for someone like me? It, it's the Concordia pension, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> there you go. The stability, right? The rock solid stability. No, I think I think you're exactly right. So, you, you, so you get marital dissatisfaction when. The husband's not being the protector and provider. Right. And it's not that women have to stay home and not work. It's that that, that has nothing to do with it, uh, women working or not working. I don't think. I think it has to do with does the does the wife view her husband as a protector and provider? Has he provided a stable, safe environment where she can work or she cannot work, where she can – where she is free to do what she needs to do to raise her brood, right. whether that's to bring home more money so they can do more things or whether it's – to be the hen that stays at home and, and, and nurtures and, and all that has the husband provided a life where she can do what she needs to do as the mom. Right. And if we don't do that, if we're a bum on the couch eating Cheetos, playing video games all day, that breeds resentment. Right. Yeah. And I think that there's just this active, um, in, in order to have a marriage that is, um, fulfilling and functioning and healthy, I think that men and women both need to, actively war against their own nature um, because our nature is hardwired different from the way that we live today. So we were just talking about the general disposition of the female gender is to have children, to be the protector, all of these things. And again, I'm not saying everybody, just in general, um, you may notice this trend of more women having babies than men. That's something that I think is verifiable <laughs> historically. <laughs> historically, um, so but but all of the instincts that are just kind of hardwired into us about um, how that should happen, we don't live that way anymore. I mean, it, it, we don't need it to be that the the man is the primary breadwinner. I don't think that that's something our culture, and I don't even think biblically we can really say nope. The, the woman stay home with kids, man go work. Rumble. Whack. I hate the word celebrate. Let me preface this by saying I just hate. There's something about the word celebrate <laughs> I hate. Celebrate. Celebrate. Uh, but we don't celebrate the natural differences between men and women. We use them as a culture to create hostility between the two. And we shouldn't. And and you're 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 exactly right that that there's a a natural Yeah. And uh, uh 
not only do we not celebrate it, we, we're at the point where – We're trying to deny it. We're trying to make believe that there is no difference between men and women. So men grow up thinking, OK, being a, being a man means one of two things, right? It either means be the macho guy that, yo, yo, I'm the man, you know, and like shove his woman around and like I'm going to show her who's boss, right? Mm-hmm. Like a weird disgruntled alpha male kind of guy mm-hmm. or – there's the if I become more like the women, they'll like me because I'll be one of the girls and I'll be able to. And so you have the the feminized man where so you have those two extremes when really biblical manhood. He's getting me my Starbucks. <laughs> biblical manhood is neither of those two. Right. Right. It's it's self-sacrificing. It's saying I am I am I am you know, I'm strong, confident, all that stuff. But I'm going to use that to protect and provide for this woman. Right. And so not shove her around and not be like her. Right. And, and men are born with, with a, the biological difference of being stronger, um, generally faster, bigger bone structure. All of these things are just simply true. I mean, you, you can't. <laughs> right. It's just a thing. And so the Bible, I think, already starts to guide us towards fighting against that truth when – our bodies are more practically designed for war than women's. So the Bible doesn't embrace that and say, so therefore, guys, go beat the crap out of people. And, no, it's, it's a, well, the, you know, the meek shall inherit the earth. And um, I, I read this somewhere and I wish I could find where I read it. I was doing, I was doing um, research for one of my sermons, I'm sure, or something, but I read that. And, and I verified this going into the Greek and, and diving into Strong's and, and, and kind of pulling apart the word in Greek for meek. That word meek doesn't mean um, weak or less strong. It means strong, but basically the, the sword is sheathed. Instead of acting violent, even though you have the ability to enact violence. So as I'm leaving the house today, let me give you an analogy. I'm, I'm leaving the house today. I'm telling my kids like – because. Been working a lot this week. Haven't been around as much as I would like to be. And so I told him, like, guys, I'm home at 5 o'clock this evening. You get all evening with dad. Both of them. Can we wrestle? <laughs> right? <laughs> Meekness is letting your four-year-old girl and your six-year-old boy pin you to the ground. Exactly right. When you could smash them. Right. Throw them through a window. <laughs> what, right? Right. And that's that's biblical manhood is knowing – yeah, I could pin you to the ground and impose my will on you, but I'm not going to. Right. So that that is the kind of like Jesus dying on a cross. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you want another example, smash everybody. But th- that sense. So already, I think um, we have this natural sense that, or the sense that we are supposed to fight against what we are biologically wired and capable of doing, and, and maybe even have a, a proclivity to do. So I think that's that is the case for. Um, how to have a, a healthy marriage is you have to examine what is my instinct on this and then question it because I'm not convinced that um, – I think people think that marriage should be so natural and easy because, man, I was I was born for this and I'm a guy or I'm a woman and we're going to get married and just naturally be like, no, it's – it I is work. <laughs> I don't understand why non-Christians get married. <laughs> uh, no – I don't, and and this isn't just to make a grandstanding, make a point. I really don't, because there's nothing about marriage that the values of our culture would lead you to desire. Marriage is, first of all, if you're a pagan, why would you be celibate, right? Why would you? Right. Why would you want to be? And then monogamous is just one step away from being celibate. So, 
Why would you want that? Why wouldn't you want to go around and conquer whatever? And then in addition to that, why would I want to enter into a legally binding agreement yeah. where I have to give you half of my stuff? Yeah. There's no there's no reason why I don't think somebody not under the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit would should want to get married if they truly understand what marriage is. As Christians, it doesn't make sense to get married unless you're willing to say, as a guy, I want to try to be like Christ to this person right. for the rest of my life. That's a huge, a huge commitment because you're not saying it's not about what they can do for me. It's what can I do for them? And I'm willing to go on this lifelong quest, this lifelong adventure to learn to be Christ to them better every day. I'm going to strike out a whole bunch, but I'm going to try to get there. And the same thing for the woman. Do I really want to submit to this jagoff? Mm-hmm. Right? Because he's a jerk. He's a sinner. And will I submit to him as the church submits to Christ? Learning. When I got married to Alyssa, we had married a couple years. And so by then we should have the marriage. I mean, I'm a pastor, so I should be a perfect husband on day one, right? Yeah. Duh. I was. We have the powers, right? <laughs> so, but it was, you know, I told her that, you know, Give me about 25, 30 years and I'll have this husband thing figured out. <laughs> but I think when people go into marriage, they need to realize on day one of your marriage, you should be the worst husband you're you, ever going to be. <laughs> you should be the worst wife you're ever going to be. But together, yeah. you patiently endure with each other as you try to get better at being a husband and wife. Right. My wife wants to be a good wife. I want to be a good husband. I'm going to mess up. She's going to mess up. But together, we pray for each other. We gently instruct each other how we can be a better husband and wife because we both want that for ourselves. Right. I I want to be a good husband. She wants to be a good wife. And if people don't have that attitude going in, you have, then you have the attitude of like, well, this is all about what – I want to marry you because of what you can do for me. Th- that That's going to blow up. It's going to lead to down the road. You're not in love with each other anymore, which gets back to your original thing about why do married couples have trouble with their sex lives? Right. It's because they don't love you. Yeah. And I'm trapped in this thing because because of the kids. I've never thought of this before, so I'm, I'm trying to get my head around the idea. Um, if I was not a Christian, would I get married? And I'm not sure. So here's the thing: I think that my my personality is kind of so again outside, eclectic. No fit, yeah, of course. But I, I really like kids, and I really like being a dad. But if I had no moral compass pointing to say that you need to be married to have kids. I think you're right. I think I probably wouldn't get married. I think I, I think I would try and convince some poor chick to be like, Hey, we don't need a piece of paper <laughs> to say that we <laughs> to love each our other. Love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cause in the back of my head, I'm going, yeah, I really want kids and I want a family. And I also want to be able to leave. Yeah. And I want, I want this sort of option. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I want to bail if I need to. Um, cause that does seem like my personality. Like, yeah, just hedging my bets here. I can scoot. But yeah, I, I don't know if I would get married if I, if, if I didn't have a moral compass pointing well, you, me towards these things. You wouldn't know what your role in marriage is supposed to be. And I think that's confusing for a lot of people, even some Christians. They don't know what, what was marriage created for, what was marriage created to do. Mm-hmm. And it's this self-defined like – do you let people write their own vows when they do this? No. OK, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> no. My love is like a flat – yeah, you need to go somewhere else. It's not a vow. It's a dumb poem and it's a – it's a shitty poem. Stop it. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, no, I, 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 and I think a lot of Christians don't know what I think it's. Well, we love each other, and this is the next step in our relationship. Bad reason to get married, yeah. Because I want to be like I want to try to be like Christ for you for the rest of of my life, and for the woman I want to be like the church is to her Lord to you for the rest of my life, and we're going to enter into this together, knowing there's going to be good days and bad days. But that is our that we feel like we're called to that. Yeah. I mean, I notice didn't say love. I agree. And I, so I'm not sure that I agree with, um, why couples sex life, um, strains when they're married. I don't know that it's because they're not in love with each other because you can have a lot of loveless sex. (laughs) Trust me, I've done it. (laughs) Um, Maybe we need to get. Maybe we need to figure out what is love. What is what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. It's nothing. <laughs> nothing. Nothing but a secondhand emotion, right? It's. it's <laughs> Boy, this is going downhill. What is love, right? And and so love is. I, go. It's patient and kind. It does not. Right, but I don't think that's our definition anymore. I mean, I, I think that when a couple says, I just don't love him anymore, they're talking about a combination of physical lust. Um, I don't think my spouse is hot anymore. <laughs> like, that, that, that's one part of it. It all turns to muscle when the sun goes down. That's, <laughs> I think the other, the other problem is people think that love is this – the butterflies, the excitement, the newness, the all of this stuff that, of course, that dies. Of course, your spouse doesn't seem new after 15 years. So what is the chief virtue of our culture today? It is being entertained. Yeah. Right? It used to be having fun. Now it's being entertained. Huge difference. We can talk about it some other time. Right. All as a result of postmodernism and changing the way we communicate. So anyway, and it's also why kids don't know how to play pranks. The um, being entertained is the chief virtue. So as long as you're interesting to me, I love you. Why? Because you're providing entertainment for me. You're fun. You're interesting. You're whatever. The minute you stop providing some form of entertainment for me, you're not interesting. You're just kind of there. You're not exciting anymore. You're not, you're not entertaining me. Then I don't love you. Yeah. And so I think love in today's culture is connected to, do I think you're entertaining? And you're the same old guy that goes to work and comes home and has beer and I cook dinner for and you do some stuff with our kids. I don't love that. That's boring. Right. And and for for guys, it's this um, – I've, I've counseled a lot of guys in their marriage who are looking f- to spice things up in the bedroom. And when I hear that, I go, you mean <laughs> – kind of, kind of the same thing with the entertainment value that, that you've gotten bored – or you're, you're, you value something novel and new in the bed that um, – just f- to get your attention to – I don't know. It's, it's this – like you're saying, this chasing after entertainment. Um, or, but I, I think that that's what we've conflated with love and mm-hmm. that isn't no. – that isn't love at all. But does it need to, <clears throat> does it need to be said? Yeah, it absolutely isn't. It's one of my so a great story. When we were in Kenya once, um we were talking about just stuff and it's um one of our our members here was talking about, you know, whatever it was, food or something and she goes, "Oh, I love pizza." 
and everybody's eyes from from Kenya, everybody there, their eyes just got huge, and they were they were offended, confused because for them, the way that that got translated to um, either Swahili or Kikuyu, whatever language it was. Love is reserved for sexual intimacy <laughs> with your spouse. And they were like, number with one, pizza? how do you do that? <laughs> it's number two, why are you romantically attracted to, to your pizza. food? That's <laughs> so, but that <clears throat> we just toss this word love around so much. I've got an infatuation, a passion. Of course, that shit goes away. It's, 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 Intimately connected to, I mean, it's, it is a, uh, you can't separate those feelings from novelty. So the, the first time you see a woman naked is the first time you see a woman naked. There's no first time again, right? Because the second time is the second time. Now, 15 years of marriage, I've seen my wife naked a lot. Do, do I get that same? Ah, is, that, is that for me? No, yeah. son, that's for me. Yeah. yeah. I never wonder if she has three nipples. <laughs> I know. She doesn't, by the way. I know a guy with three nipples. Who? Uh, <laughs> you don't know him, but he's a member of my church and he might listen to this, so maybe I shouldn't share it. <laughs> Probably not. You know who you are. <laughs> good times of vestigial nipple yes so like you don't wonder i mean this is a a big part of of uh the men's sexual experience too is the imagination and and everything in our head where we start to we get this picture of what this is going to be like and especially before you are ever intimate with a woman you've got this picture of this is what's going to happen and this is i wonder if and i wonder if and then that that leads up into the sexual experience and after 15 years I don't. I don't wonder if my wife is gonna walk out of the of our little walk-in closet or walk out of the bathroom wearing leather, carrying a whip and, and a ball gag. She, of course, is. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is it is it for men? The, I mean, the whole thing about being the protector provider, right? And in sex, we are both the conqueror and the hero. Interesting. We we create pleasure. And that's for me. She's mine. I think there's some of that. Um, but I, I mean, I... In a good way. I mean, this isn't a bad oh, thing, no, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, no, it's, I mean, what you're saying. It's, here's this woman that I love that I'm devoted to, and I can, I can give her pleasure. I can give her something that no one else can. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so, so, that, so that's a good thing. And yeah. that's why I think when men have trouble performing sexually, that's why it hurts. Like, here's this woman I love... And I can't give her that one thing that of all the men on the earth I've been called to do. Uh, well, I, right. So that that's yeah. deflating. And then also, I'm I'm in control. This is this is mine. I you know, and it's this beautiful, wonderful creature, woman. You know, she's mine. And there's, it's both. There's it's definitely a, something wired in about us. It, and I, I I think the way that I'm thinking about it is it's almost like you. Um, my wife has given me a gift of her body. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not that I'm conquering it or taking it like caveman hit woman drag. Against her will. No, she's right. giving it to me. It's given to me and it's now a gift. Yeah. I'm claiming yeah. that gift. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah. oh, I mean, it's it's when. What was it like? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
is why we don't have video yet because of all of, all of what just happened. All the blushing. <laughs> the, the hand motions and such. Um, yeah, like when you when – you, I got a new truck. Um, it's mine. You know, I, I don't need to go and steal it or claim it or, or get it. But, man, I just – you get behind the wheel. Yeah, I'm just excited in the morning when it's mm. my my day because we have, we have to switch depending on who's taking kids. Oh, I look forward to get up in the morning and not driving a van. <laughs> I wake up like, ah, today's a truck day. Woo-hoo. I go out and I claim my truck. That's already my truck, but it's my turn. It's my time. Yay. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. So, um, but when it, so this is why yeah. we haven't talked about this. So did you know that only 3% of people who marry are celibate until they get married? <laughs> is it Three, that high? 3%. It's a rounding error away from zero. <laughs> But what happens when you've already given that part of yourself away to somebody else? Oh, tell me that doesn't good. affect your marriage. Well, for sure. A hundred percent. It doesn't I tell- destroy it. It doesn't ruin it, but it, it, it affects it. Right. Because I like to know that this is – for both me and my wife remained chaste <laughs> until that big day. Uh, and it's nice to know that you've never shared this with – this is my – this you've never given this to anyone else. Right. It's a gift that you can give me and it's a – I guess it's a gift that I'm giving you, <laughs> right? You can call it that. In a small package. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> now Duncan's blushing. <laughs> I was misdiagnosed with elephantitis. Turns out I'm just Scottish. It's, uh, tragic. No, and, and so, so that, that's part of the deal. Yeah, you know, and and does that cause marital dissatisfaction? I'm sure in some degree it does. Doesn't destroy marriages if couples have not not been celibate until they get married, but it, it negatively affects your marriage. There's no question, and it's um, I have gotten to that point where um, uh, by the time a couple comes to me in so many regards, it, they're so far behind. It's so frustrating. So usually when like a couple who's been married for a long time and um, there's trouble in their marriage. When they come to talk to me, it's like, so we're getting a divorce. Well, they've already made up their mind and they either want you to say – to agree with their decision or to take sides. Yeah. Right, and that's – But it's like, you know, this these conversations – Please don't do that to us, parishioners. Yeah, please don't do that. I mean, anyway. it's it, I don't want my pastor to think there's trouble in my marriage. I think there's trouble in every marriage. <laughs> of course there is. You know why? Because there's trouble in every marriage. So it's, it's this – I always say, man, this would have been awesome if you guys came to me five years ago. We could be now in a place of health and happiness after uh, a bunch of work. But no, you've you're so far behind. Same thing when it comes to couples getting married. It's almost always there's so much undoing we have to do. And I so pre-marriage counseling, right? Confession time. I'm about to give up on it. Yeah. Well, no, no because you'd be joining me. <laughs> because I'd much rather say, look, we'll we'll put together your order of service. I will teach you what God's plan and design for marriage is so that you understand so so that you're making an informed an informed decision as to what you're getting into. But I'd much rather schedule an appointment 6 months into your marriage where you come back and sit here 6 months in than tell you about marriage when you're just going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm sitting here doing pre-marriage so that you'll do our wedding, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I'd much rather say six months in, come back, and we're going to talk about how's it going because no one wants to come and talk to their pastor six months into their marriage because our marriage is failing. Yet every every marriage six months in, you're like, uh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Right. <laughs> like, 
we know, right? And that's yeah. My biggest that, frustration. That, that's like everybody telling you, like, oh, you should have kids; it's great. And then you get pregnant, have kids. Like, you're tired, aren't you? It's miserable, isn't it? You're like, you said this would be a happy house. <laughs> you're a liar. Yeah, I, it's the same thing. And and I would much rather talk to couples a little bit into their marriage to go, okay, what is meeting or exceeding your expectations, and where are you like, oh yeah. my gosh, and and go, y- y- this is. Whatever you're going through, unless like somehow you've managed to have an affair like six months into your marriage, everything you're going through is normal. Right. And this is the way it is. Right. And it's going to be fine. It is It is impossible for a couple to – I think anymore, maybe, maybe once upon a time things were different. But I believe it's impossible for a couple to um, do a good and healthy job of premarital counseling. I, I just don't think it's possible. Part of it is um, it's really hard to teach somebody about something that isn't their reality. It'd be like if you or I were to sit down and take a class on being pregnant. Be like, okay, so now I know what it's like I'm to I'm kind be. of fat, so maybe, I don't know. <laughs> you might be pregnant. <laughs> you should go check. <laughs> that baby's way overdue though. <laughs> but like you – there's no way I can know what it's like to be pregnant because I've never been and I'm never going – like it's it's not part of my biology. It's so alien and foreign. I can learn data. I can learn, well, there's trimesters and this and then this. But I, without experiencing, you don't know it. So the baby I'm, kicking inside is like eating a two-pound burrito. <laughs> no, it's not. Like it just isn't. <laughs> right. But so for pre-marriage counseling, it's like we can te- – and I think we should. This is what the Bible says about marriage. So when you say I want to get married, this is actually what you're saying you want to enter into. Right. I think we can do that. We've been trained. We know enough to say this is what it is. I think we can also – and even here I have some reservations. We can say, look, if you're living together before marriage, you have X percent increased chance of marital dissatisfaction. Yep. If you're uneducated or whatever the stats are about – there's some interesting stats. It would seem as though the data would indicate that these are going to be some trouble spots for your marriage down the road, just a heads up. Yeah. We can do that. But – even there, I'm not a big fan of using metadata to apply to a particular situation yeah. because I don't – maybe it won't be an issue in your marriage. Right. Like th- there's one statistic that says that um, couples have was a 30 percent increase of marital dissatisfaction if the wife has two degrees education higher than her husband. So if she has a PhD and you have a bachelor's, that's going to be a problem. If she has a master's and you're just a high school graduate, that's going to be a problem. But if the man is overeducated beyond the wife, there's no trend to say that's a bad – Really? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, but really? I don't know if it's going to work for you guys or not. <laughs> right. So even there, the data that we could say, statistics say, I don't know that statistics on a on a grand scale are meant to be applied to individual situations. And so even there, I don't know what's the benefit of bringing that information into a couple that wants to get married. Well, that's, that's kind of one of my other points too is, is why sit down with a couple ahead of time and say, let's talk about all of the things you might face in your marriage. So that list is a couple hundred thousand topics long <laughs> because we're talking if this is – And the reality is they're coming into your office because I'm jumping through the hoops necessary <laughs> yeah. to have the wedding in the church to, yeah. because I want to be a princess. Yeah, and it's, the way I describe it is I might today be able to equip you with a wrench and a screwdriver and a hammer that will be really wonderful you know, tools to address some things. And then in 10 years, you might come back and say that you need a torque wrench and you don't have that. So I mean, I, you might just discover 
I, I didn't give I gave you a bunch of tools. None of them is the right one. How do I know? How do I predict in 10 years this couple is going to be struggling with X, Y, and Z? So what I what I do is I, I meet about four times with a couple. It's always at a bar, always drinking beer. And we talk about some real general stuff. I cover um, finances. Um, I do family of origin stuff just to kind of try and help them because a lot of times that's getting real as they're planning a wedding. Mm-hmm. Like, why is my mother-in-law bonkers? J- try and figure out some of that stuff and figure out some of the, you know how – because that, that helps them understand each other a little bit. And then I tell them my goal is for you to connect with this church or another church if you go somewhere else. Be connected so that in 10 years when you're going through something tough, you've got a place to go. Go to your church, find me, find another pastor, and start the conversation to get the tool you need at that moment. You need a wrench, you get a wrench. You need a screwdriver, you'll get a screwdriver. That's, I think, the best thing. But, yeah, to, to the point of, of couples cohabitating and, and sex before marriage, it's... Just don't do it. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Just don't do it. Yeah. And this whole why are weddings such a big deal? Just get married. Yeah. Just just don't don't be engaged for 2 years. Just if you want to get married, come in, invite some friends, invite your family. We'll do it this Saturday afternoon. Yep. Let's get it done. Don't I've, overthink it. I've had a couple If you want to have the government paper w- with you, that's whatever. I don't care anymore. Right. The government paper, I right. I mean, so what? That's a different issue. <laughs> just just get married. Yeah. It's not getting married is not the big deal. It's it's that – and marriage isn't hard. It just doesn't stop. Yeah. Right? So there's nothing there's nothing today in your marriage that you can't do as the husband or wife. Yeah, I'm always telling couples I'm not all that interested in your wedding, very interested in your marriage. Right. Your wedding is, is one day where you spend too much money. Um, I'm going to drink a lot of beer. <laughs> and, and then wake up and do church the next day. It's going to be fun. You should be, you should try it. That, but that's really it. Like for me, everybody gets another thing. <laughs> Brides hate to hear this. They get all worked up about it. And I go, you got to understand for me, it's just Saturday. <laughs> I know this is the biggest day of your life, but I'm probably going to wake up and have some pancakes and, and plan on, you know, going shooting or, or, Working around the house, swinging by your wedding. <laughs> like, I'm not. I'm not nearly as torqued up about this as you are. You're not a princess. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you're not special. You're not a princess. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't know. I, the, the, the the wedding thing. I, I like to when the couples come in. I really like to get to know them and their stories. Right. I mean, it, it's interesting because you do care about these couples. They're starting off on their journey, and and marriage is good. It's God pleasing. So I'm excited for them. Um, more for the, like you said, more for the marriage than the wedding. But I'll ask him in like the first session, like you, just tell him like you should elope. Yeah. Whatever money is being offered to elope, you should take it. Yep. And they look at you like ah, you hate love. I'm like okay. And then we get to like <laughs> so, and then we get to like two months before the wedding and be like, do you wish you would have eloped? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the flowers and the decorations. I'm like, yeah. Just just I mean elope like get married here like do the braveheart thing right. We'll get married under the cover of darkness, like secret wedding. Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of this, just a, 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 a low, a low key where you're going to get married, and then go off and have fun for a week. Yeah, come back and have enough money for like the down payment on a house, right? That you weren't living in before you got married. <laughs> Don't cohabitate. Do, do not cohabitate. And here's why. Here's why cohabitation <laughs> sucks. Right? It's because 
This is, I think, and I have, I wrote a thesis on this. <clears throat> yeah, so you have to listen. You have to listen. There's no way that I could be wrong. No one who ever wrote a paper on something was wrong. Uh-huh. But so you cohabitate. You're saying this is a trial run for marriage, right? Or we're saving money. Are you really saving money? This is a trial run for marriage. And you're saying, okay, but during that cohabitation period in your mind, at any time I can pack up and go. Right. So then you go out and you have your big Saturday. You move back into the same house. What in your mind? Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. I can still yep. pack up and go. Yeah. Whereas if I didn't cohabitate, we have our own two separate lives. We get married. Now we have one life together. You're smashing all things together. It's a it's a whole shift of life. Right. Something changed. Yeah. And I think that's why one the premarital sex thing. I mean, you see your girlfriend getting out of the shower every day. You're cohabitating. Eventually, you're going to give into that, right? So you're you're putting yourself in a situation where you're going to have sex before marriage, and the cohabitation where nothing really changes after our wedding. We had a big party, and a bunch of people told us we were awesome, right? But for us as a couple, nothing has changed, right? Yep, and I think that's why you can show at stats ranging. I've seen anywhere from thirty percent to three hundred percent increase of divorce for any cohabitating at any point before the marriage. Right, and that, that's from non-Christian like secular sources that don't care. Yeah, I. But again, <clears throat> I'm nearly at that point where I'm, I I agree with everything you said, and I'll and I'll still say ninety percent of the couples that that come to me for marriage are already cohabitating. Sure, and. Even outside of that, <clears throat> so when I another thing I, when I talk about sex with couples before marriage, uh, I always say. So do you, you do your premarriage counseling like in like a Hugh Hefner robe? <clears throat> Some no, but I should. <laughs> <Hello. laughs> um, I say you know. <laughs> just, I just, sorry, <laughs> I, I tell couples I go. So you know, I obviously know they're living together because they fill out an application and there's one, one address. address. <laughs> so I love to kind of. I love getting people in awkward situations. I just enjoy people being uncomfortable. So I'll say, <laughs> so are you guys living together? And they uh, look at each other. Yeah. Because they've been that. anticipating this like, moment. Right. Because they oh, – oh, even better is are you guys having sex? Look, do, we, do we lie to the holy man? Oh, see, my couples have always practiced this because I always tell them next week we're going to talk about sex. And, and I do Baby, that. Baby, let's <laughs> talk about you and me. Let's, let's talk, talk about, about all the good things and the bad things that can be. Let's talk about. All right, you were done. Um, I always tell them in advance because I want a week of them sweating. <laughs> What seven days of them having this conversation? What do we say? Do we? We can't lie. Do we lie? I, I think he's cool. I think we can tell him. I think he's gonna be pissed. I don't think he's gonna be pissed. He's a pretty cool guy. Yeah, but he's still a pastor. And like, I just I love that there's a week of stress. <laughs> it makes me happy. <laughs> so I, I had a couple back at my last church, and uh, I, there was that question. It was in the pre-marriage inventory. Are you banging? And she put yes, and he put no. <laughs> well, one of you is lying, and I'm willing to bet I know who. So, right? So, but what he didn't understand was she started crying and ran out of the room. And he's looking at me like, what happened? I'm like, well, first of all, you lied, which isn't cool. But second of all, she thinks you're, afraid, you're, you're ashamed. Yeah. You're, you're embarrassed of, of, of her. Yeah. To be known as being with her. And so – she went out to their car, was crying. I'm like, you you need to go and fix this. Right. I'll wait here. 
They sat in their car for 45 minutes, drove off, never came back. Oh, no. Yeah. That was the end of me doing marriage counseling for them. Ooh. But I was like, good, because you did something bad before you got married, and it was an issue for you, and this was a hurdle you had to get through as a couple. And they did get through it. They got married. We, we still remained like friends, but I didn't do their marriage counseling after that. <laughs> Why is it? They went somewhere else. Yeah. So Which is fine. I mean, I, you're going to go to a church that doesn't make you talk about stuff. You just want the, it's fine. Right. And it, so in my opinion, I, I know that there's, there's other psychological issues with cohabitation, but it really boils down to, um, in, in my head, sex before marriage. And mm-hmm. cause this is what I always bring up with my, I go, you guys are living together. What do you, I go, what do you think about that? And then I go, what does God think about that? I, I don't care. I just love to get them all stressed out. <laughs> like, well, I think, you know. God likes we're mean, saving money. The no, Bible doesn't. doesn't say, I mean, I think it probably, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't <laughs> I, think, read, I don't read the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I always say, you know, I lived with a woman before I married Joni for 18 years. Yeah. God was cool with it. <laughs> it was my mommy. Kids, <laughs> <Right. laughs> This is an issue of sex First and foremost. Well, the cohabitation question, and, th- and that's where I think in, in our synod, we obsess over cohabitation. Yeah. But all cohabitation does, the Bible doesn't say. Right. Cohabitation is dumb, and research indicates it's going to doom your marriage. Right. But cohabitation allows me to ask the question, are you banging? Right. Because you are. Yes. <laughs> yes, because of course <laughs> because you are. Because your one-bedroom apartment <laughs> is kind of a giveaway. Yeah. And you're not bundling, all right? You're not bundling. So – but it allows me to ask that question. And, and, and like you said, you love that like, are we going to lie to the holy man? Are yeah, it's great. The truth? Why, in your opinion, do you think um, sex before marriage is an issue? I, I mean, OK, so we know the Bible, blah, blah, blah. What I'm saying is why – what effect does having sex before marriage have that is potentially detrimental to a couple's marriage? Because I think when you're married, you want as many things to – unite you to your spouse as possible and physical intimacy is one of them and whatever you share with somebody else you can't give to only your spouse right so for in our marriage that's something that has united us because i've never done this with anybody else you haven't done this with anybody else this is this is between you and me only and there's no one else in the bedroom with us right whereas kissing like we've kissed other people so that's like that's cool right germs and like coffee breath (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right? But – so that doesn't really unite us any more than it did previous boyfriends and girlfriends. Right. So in the same way that living together, I've never lived with anybody else. Right. Except college roommates. But that's different. Like so – Was it? So t- <laughs> was, was it? It was a phase. I was <laughs> Asking a lot of questions. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. So, so I, I, I think that's where – um, for a marriage, it's all about what can you give to your spouse that you haven't given to anybody else. Right. F- anything from like a shared bank account. Yep. Right. To living together, to sex, to a last name. Yeah. Right. It's all those things. And that's why second marriages are hard. Yes. And why scripture discourages them because you've already given all that stuff to number one. You have right. nothing to give only to number two. Right. So. Among other things, that's what makes second marriages very, very hard um, and why the failure rate of second marriages is very, very high. Yeah. Because um, this isn't special. Right. And 
so the it doesn't my, mean they can't be in love. It doesn't mean blah, 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 blah. right. But you're not giving anything to number two that you haven't given to number one. I, I think that second marriages actually have a chance, but it's it's such a slightly less. I mean, I it, the numbers just are, are true. Slightly less. Let me re- reorganize here. A second marriage has the potential to be incredibly powerful, maybe even better than a first marriage in every regard if – because I think you have the opportunity in a second marriage to come at it from a different angle. Now, very few couples do that. That's your problem. But that second angle is redemption, forgiveness, and Every marriage should start rooted in the cross. Every marriage should start with these things, but often they don't. They start with, yeah, he's so cute. I love him so much. And no, she's great. And, and I move awesome church. Jesus is probably something. But like if you get a second marriage, so, you know, somebody who's, and, and I've got a couple of marriages like this in my church where lives have been wrecked from divorce, destroyed and crushed. And it's, but then they found redemption in Jesus individually first, and then in that redemption we can find um, a great new hope, and it's all rooted in in this faith and the story of redemption. That marriage is way better. And every marriage should start that way, but they don't because they start when you're 19, 20 years old, and you're, <laughs> I want to have sex now. <laughs> But yeah, I tell couples all the time that the, the problem with premarital sex is it, it'd be like going to buy a car and saying <clears throat> to the car dealership, "Here's ten grand," and they go, "Uh, four. Like, what down payment on which? Well, I don't know yet. I'll I'll tell you. You would never do that because you just you just lost ten grand. I mean, there's you might truly intend on buying a car, but you might not find the car you want at that dealership. I mean, it's Things can change. So you're giving something up even if you believe there's 100%. I love this person. We're gonna, I know we're going to get married. We're totally going to get married. So get married. Exactly. <laughs> so I mean <laughs> this whole thing of – there's so many things I want to build off of what you just said. But the whole thing of like well, we're just not ready. Luke, were you ready when you got married? The fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. I was a moron when I got married. Did I, that matter? No. See, it's not. <laughs> I wrote a little thing a, a few months ago about the myth of being ready. Yeah. You're never ready for anything. <laughs> right. Because what does that even mean? You're not ready for your first job. You're not ready for marriage. You're definitely not ready to have kids. Go do it anyway. Right. It's not about being ready. You're not going to be ready. Financially, we're just get married. Yeah. My, my grandparents, she was 16. He was 19 when they got married. This is a long okay, time that's ago. That's illegal today. <laughs> This is back – I mean this was – In Alabama, I assume. This was years ago. This is 19 – they got married in 1929. They stayed married – I mean until grandma died. They stayed married for 60 years. Yeah. No big deal. Were they ready by any uh, – no. well, today it's so different. That, no, it's not different today. Right. You're just taking less – it's taking you longer to grow up. You know what helps you grow up? <laughs> growing up. <laughs> growing up, <laughs> right? So this whole thing of we need to be ready, we need to have – Fifty thousand dollars in savings. We need to be firmly entrenched in our careers and da da da. Yeah. Now there's there's data to suggest that people who get married after twenty five have a greater chance of success than people who get married before. But it's a correlation, not a relationship. Right. You're never going to be ready. Right. Joni and I were engaged um, a little bit over a year. Too long. Entirely too long. Yeah. No, it was. But so we had this, and I was opposed to that. I was going to judge your marriage. <laughs> 
Well, and neither neither of us wanted that, but, but part were, of it, but you were ready. We we were totally ready. We were gonna get married. That was like we had talked about it, but we're in college, so in getting married, you know, moving out of our dorm room into an apartment for six months, <laughs> like that, it was just weird. Right, like, right. So it was it was gonna take some time, and then the reason why we bumped it up earlier than that was because we knew we were. I mean, this was a full-on conversation and um, started making plans. We're getting married. Um, then we have to do that that seminary interview as a fourth-year student in college. You have to go and if you are engaged, you're supposed to bring your fiancé. And they, they really stressed that. And I was like, are we being dishonest because we're not engaged? But, but we are. Basically. And so I proposed like the week before. <laughs> and then we, I did the interview just for that reason for that for, that was the whole idea was to and then you got engaged to further your chances at the at the district interview to get into the seminary yeah, absolutely if i'm engaged to you they may let me in <laughs> and i just barely got in because <laughs> there was that there was that deer incident in the, in, in the dorm room that was, <laughs> that's not on my record um technically yeah but so when, when i was i was moving towards ready so like the only thing we were really waiting for to get married was I wanted to start the seminary because I didn't want to forget <laughs> enough Greek and Hebrew that I wouldn't pass my qualifier. <laughs> it's like I wanted to start seminary, but she had one more year of college. So we didn't get married right, for that year. Right. That's it. I, but no, other than that, there was no reason – because I, I was looking forward to being stupid poor with – a hot roommate that I get to bang. <laughs> like it was great. I was super excited about that. Like this is going to be, it's, cause I was in seminary. It was like, I mean, it's like the best time of your life. If we'd have waited until there was the pressures of careers and all this kind of stuff, you can't enjoy that. Get married. It's fantastic. Except for it's super hard. And that's <laughs> back to the point of, of sex and marriage. It was think, what? <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> I knew there'd be a that what she said at some point in this podcast. You forced it. That was forced. <laughs> but so back to sex in a marriage. It is work. It is work. And this, I think, is part of the thing that, that causes women to uh, pull back and, and show more restraint and refrain of, of frequency and, and of physical intimacy is they want it to not be work. It's supposed to be natural it's supposed to on the cloud just happen and that it is such not the case i mean that's those are all of the things of infatuation lust the novelty newness of a marriage then it is natural and it is easy because you're just it's all so new and exciting and it's fun and it's it's but then you know 15 years later there's nothing new about sex with my wife there's nothing new about it you're gonna do this and i'm gonna do that and then we're we've gonna, tried it all and then <laughs> Like we know, I know where it goes. She knows where it goes. (laughs) This is no surprises. We have sex without surprises. And sometimes without waking up. (laughs) I think that's rape. Is that rapey? I I said to my wife all the time, like, hey, you don't have to be awake for this. (laughs) Oh, we should edit that part out. (laughs) Yes, for sure. 126. (laughs) (laughs) But, But it's... Uh, it is work, and um, I tell couples in premarriage counseling. This is one of the things that I do tell them because I, I think they will remember this. I say schedule, set a schedule Wednesday nights, yeah, and yeah. and 
you, you know, pick once a week at least. And if what I've discovered is most couples that I kind of coach in this is they go from no sex to then I say Wednesdays or you know, pick a day. That's the night you're going to have sex. Day. Yeah, it's hump day. Hump day. And just do it like it's a job. <laughs> you know, like if, if you need to punch a clock or whatever, like it, it's not going to be great. It, the sex is not going to be wonderful, but you're going to do it. Do it. Get in the routine. Yep. And what what they discover is it goes from once a week. Um, hey, that was kind of fun. Maybe we should do this again. Oh, it's begrudging and no yeah. fun. But then like week three and four, man, this is kind of – I mean it is the – as long as it's Wednesday, we, we're going to have to do it anyway. So, you know. And then like two months into it, it's like well, it's about three times a week now. <laughs> like right. <laughs> you get – it's like going to the gym. I If, if I stop – I'm terrified to stop working out. Because I know how hard it is to start. Because you go start. to pastor's conferences <laughs> and you look around and you go, that could be me. That would never be me, dude. I cannot. No, That's a whole other topic we should talk about sometime because I, I cannot put up with lazy pastors. But anyways, different topic. Um, yeah, so invite me back for that one. I want, I want to do that one. I want to do but it could be a two-hour monologue. It would be fantastic <laughs> if you're sick and need a guest two-hour monologue i don't i don't get it like you you we we can't go down that rabbit hole i'll, I'll talk no, about go, five minutes. <laughs> this this is the a preview of, of so so you are so sold out for the gospel of christ and you love jesus and this is your you just took your shirt off it's hot in here it's getting hot in here so take off all your clothes don't no, do all right don't fine. ever do that again <laughs> <laughs> lazy bastards yeah, so so if Beerman's class, was Beerman was there your last year, right? Because it was my uh, third no, year. I had him a couple. Second year he was there. I think he was there second year. So I had, and it, it was great because we had one of those lazy second career guys. He's my favorite prof, by the and way. And here, and he's this is going to take him up a few notches in your book, right? So uh, Beerman's the guy at Sam. Like he he was fit, and he's big on like work hard. Mm-hmm. So he's the new professor there, and he's talking about like. When you're you're gonna have to work hard as a pastor. You're gonna it yeah harder than most jobs, and this big big tub tub in the back of the room. Uh, so how do you uh, how do you say we work to prevent burnout? He goes burnout. It's like you work hard, and if you burn out, you go and you do something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're afraid of burnout. You've got right. issues. But, but, but how many of our guys are like, well, you know, a wellness wheel and I got to you know, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> just do your job. And if you can't do your job, then get another job. Right. But don't chintz out on this job because you're afraid of burning out. Yeah. Oh, and, and anybody. Don't worry about burning out. You burn out and go do something else. God will provide. And, and past, people who are afraid of anybody, I think, but pastors for sure, specifically, if you're afraid of burnout, you're going into it with the wrong mindset and, and you're going to throttle back and you're going to play it safe. The, the way to prevent burnout is not by working less or, or taking it easy. It's about working harder. And so the, here's how I prevent burnout. I'm, and I'm, pastors have a high rate of burnout. And, I, and my counsel is cool. They ask me, my elders are cool. They ask me all the time, how you doing? You're not in your burnout, it's are you? because we're attracting the wrong kind of guys to ministry, but we already talked about it. <laughs> I, I tell them all the time, I'm so far from burnout. Right. And what keeps me from that is working hard 
staying on top of things, not not being a lazy bum who who lets work pile up and then feels like this mountain of stuff I can never get done is always weighing on me. No, I hustle, I get things done, and then I hustle and I work out. I hustle and I'm a good father and a good husband. I hustle. And I was just talking about this uh, yesterday with a guy at a bar um, who I've been sharing Jesus with. So is, is it, I said, you know, there's just some people I'm convinced are born without hustle. And you, you've got to yeah. drill it into them. But I think everybody can learn hustle. But it's it's one of those things where some people – like I just I, – I told him this story. When I was uh, a kid at Fleet Farm was my – one of my second job. So I was probably 16 years old, something like that. Um, and I worked in the sporting goods department and I was just a, a chump working retail. So it was take those things off the hooks, put these things on the hooks. Like this is my job. My dad comes by to pick me up one day from work and Wayne, who's this retired guy, I don't know what he did before, but he's probably 65 years old, pulls my dad aside and in front of me, so it was kind of a compliment to me, he said, your son is the hardest worker I have in my department. And I was blown away. We're driving home, my dad goes, what have you been doing? And I go, what he asked me to do? <laughs> I just right. he says clear the end cap. I clear the end cap. Like I, I really wasn't doing anything more. But like he said to do. But that's that is just part of who I, it's, my family's this way. My dad's this way. The, some people don't have that. They they uh, clear the end cap. Oh, well, I'm gonna finish my coffee and then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna. No, they're paying you to clear the end cap. Right. If you can't do it, then get a job where you can sit around and drink coffee, like what we're doing right now. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> interesting. Interesting, you mentioned that those those right. lazy people drinking coffee on the job. Excuse me while I reach for the Starbucks. There's no job where you can sit around drink coffee lazy. and talk. It's <laughs> not a thing. But, but it's it's interesting what you said, right? Because this is this is kind of my, you know, um, first you have to prioritize. There's some things that that in the church need to get done and I'm just not I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to get around to that. Mm-hmm. And and okay, and I think a lot of pastors, but if I get around to it then people will like me. And like true, and you still shouldn't do it. Right? Because there's so many hours in the day. But what you what you said was interesting. I go to work, I do my pastor thing, I work out, I take care of myself because our job is sedentary. Mm-hmm. So you need to make up for that by moving things and and all that. And then and then I go to my family. What you didn't put in there is and then I go, and then I goof off for 3 hours. And then I like sit around and like, so, so one thing to be more productive is cut the crap out of your life. Yep. Right. Addition by subtraction. Well, someone, it it was, it was an interview for some church a while back and like, what are your hobbies? I'm like, I'm I'm a grown man. (laughs) Like like I work, I have my family, I exercise, (laughs) I occasionally go out and look at cars. I don't have a lot of hobbies. Why? Because if I have this other thing I do for three hours a day, it's my hobby. <laughs> then I'm not focusing on the stuff God's given me, the important stuff. And I think a lot of guys, they burn out because they have this big chunk of wasted time and they're still trying to be a good pastor, be a father, be a husband and take care of themselves. Like there's not enough hours for that. Right. You have to cut the crap out of your life. Yeah. Not all of it, but but most of it. Right. Now, just – You're a grown man. Enjoy enjoy this. Oh, I do. <laughs> I just had this image of somebody asking the Apostle Paul. What are your hobbies? Your hobby? <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, bitch, I work. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? What's my hobby? My hobby is getting shipwrecked and beaten and thrown in jail. 
get a hobby. (laughs) (laughs) My hobby is planting churches and growing the kingdom. Have a good day. How do you prevent burnout? I actually (laughs) enjoy doing this. It's not like your job. I like my job. How did the early Christians avoid burnout? Well, they actually got eaten by lions. (laughs) They were burned, you know, alive. (laughs) Being burning out. They got burned up. Whatever. That's bad. You're horrible. Oh. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. But back to right. marriage is work <laughs> and it's – So it, how do you prevent burnout in your marriage? It's actually great. So when, when people talk about um, well, you've got to find things to enjoy together, you've got to find – again, I think people are looking for something natural. They want to be entertained. Yeah, like – well, we just we, – you know what? Here, here's the, the imagined result would be yeah, we discovered we both just love pottery. You, I was amazed. So we we just go to this pottery class. Now we're doing this thing together. Every dude's like, "Yeah, I'm doing I this like to get pottery, laid." Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is I did not like pottery, or because um, this used to be a frustration with with Joni and I in our marriage because I, I have things I like. I like to shoot. I like to hunt. I like these things. She's like, "I need something." I'm like, "Well, come with me. Go shooting." She doesn't want to go nah, shooting. Really a fan. <laughs> Just, let's go hunting. No. But she needs her things and you need your things. Right. And that was my And that's okay. Yeah. And actually I do need her things. <laughs> she needs my things, but <laughs> you know, so <laughs> go ahead. Segue. <laughs> I got nothing. But yeah, so the my problem was trying to get she there, wanted to make her like you. But yeah. you don't make her like you. No. And Let her. <laughs> that would be horrible because then she'd come hunting two with of me. You, and there'd be a lot of poop in the minivan. It'd be terrible. <laughs> you don't, nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Yeah. It, but how can I like – so for example, today – I'm such a great husband. But today course. like Alyssa's friends, they want to do a pure bar class kind of thing, workout class and then go out and have wine together. Good. You need to do that. So I'll be home and I'll you know, I'll babysit my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That's another thing. We do not babysit our kids. Yeah, that's called parenting. I get to have time with the kids. Go do your thing. You need that time with the girls in the same way that, honey, it's been a long day. I need to go work out. You need to tell me to go work out. Yep. Right. Don't tame my lions, right? Don't tame the lions. Because then when we are together, it's much better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, don't, it, Husbands and wives, don't try to control each other. That's yeah. dumb. That's just dumb. But everything you described is actual work. So you had to work to rearrange your schedule to, to, to be, make it sure that you can be here. She had to figure out, well, Duncan can rearrange his schedule at this time. So now with my friends, I can arrange this time and then set up the classes. And, and like it's – Because I trust her that she's not trying to control me. Right. And, and she trusts that I'm not trying to control her. Right. I'm actually – I'm trying to look out for you as best I can given that I also have to do this pastor gig. Right. Right. But it, but none of that is natural. None of that just no. You guys didn't just stumble upon today. Like well, it just so happens, I don't have anything. I, I'll be with the kids, and all of my friends are free at the same time. And there's a class, and this is gonna. But but that so we know that doesn't happen naturally. But we expect intimacy to be that way. Like just it it happens to be a way. Day and I happen to have nothing going on. And oh, look, it, kids are in bed. Look just at these magically. Candles <laughs> Someone dropped a bunch of rose petals in here. That's <laughs> weird. Yeah, it takes work. And that's I, it's so unappealing because we're, and we're bombarded by this in the media, right? Every sexual scene 
in every movie is, is perfect, spontaneous, you know, and it just happens. I'm just like, what? you guys don't have a freaking job. Like, <laughs> what are, how are you having sex at, at 11 in the morning? <laughs> like, this is, you're insane. But it takes work. And, and intimacy is kind of back to the original stuff. Intimacy is really important for men. Um, and I think that we, we've got this stigma of, oh, yeah, junior high, high school, you're just horn dogs and you're, you're just in it for the physical thing. You just want to get laid. And that, I believe, by the way, is true <laughs> in junior high and high school. But men change and marriage, especially with, with men who have a proper understanding of marriage relationship, it changes and it becomes physical intimacy – leads us to this emotional intimacy that we crave and it's it's so hard like so my my wife and and I, every woman is this way my wife does not look she's she's not the same physical person she was when she was 22 139 139 <laughs> Go ahead and edit that bad boy <laughs> people change yeah and so right? yeah Women are always paranoid about well, I don't look the same and, and you know, they get bashful. I'm like, I find my wife incredibly attractive more today than ever. And I can't get her to believe me. <laughs> she thinks I'm lying. And I'm like, no, it's because it's it's changed from it. I And I will say 100 percent physically when I was younger, um, physical attractiveness was far more important. And. I mean, but it's a different kind of physical attractiveness now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because you're not, you can't just look at your wife and just see the physical. You, when you look at her, you're seeing all the experiences you've had together, the personality, yes. the highs and the lows, all that when you look at her. It's not just – whereas when you first met, you're like, that's hot. I want that. Right. Because I don't have any connection there. There's no – we went through this together. We experienced this together. We have a story together. Right. And so I've connected now the the physical intimacy, the, the act of sex with all of the intimacy of all of these years. So when I see my wife naked now – so when I saw my wife naked for the first time, I didn't have any history. I, I didn't have any – it was just a naked chick, which was <laughs> awesome, right? Like I'm super excited and about no that. no one's telling you no. Yeah. I was like, woohoo. <laughs> Let's do this. I'm not sneaking in the bushes anymore. Like this is – I never did that. Never. Not when I was outside of the in sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> and if you didn't do that, you're a liar. You did too. Every guy. Anyways, um, so there is this now when I when I see my wife naked, I, I have I all I'm thinking about is this this is the one who has been faithful, stood by my side, has taken risks with me, has um, gone through brokenness and healing with me. All of these things, and and that translate in, into a physical attraction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I don't have that over some hot chick at the gym, who I still would look at, and be like, that's a hot chick, but I'm not nearly as attracted to her, that little 22 year old, that I am my wife. Like I am so much more physically attracted to my wife, right? Because uh, it's what- hard for women to believe that's true. So one of the one of the knocks on guys our age is we don't have any friends. Right. <laughs> right. 40 something. Guy. We don't have friends because whatever. We don't have friends. Pros and cons of that. Right. The con is you're a loser and don't have any friends. <laughs> the pro is my wife is my friend. Yeah. She knows more about me than anyone ever will. We are together for the rest of our lives. 
we, if I had a bunch of other friends, I wouldn't need to share everything with my wife. Right. I wouldn't need to talk to her. I wouldn't need her to be my rock. Right. Because I have other guys I could go out with and, rah, 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 and get, get my you know fulfillment there with people that understand me and listen to me. So I think part of it is a good thing. Like I, ha- I don't have anyone else on a day-to-day basis I can share my life with. It is my wife and only my wife. And so that, that allows us to have more. We talk more. We communicate more. I need her. Right. I, I, I didn't I, used to need her. <laughs> uh, right, but no, right. Because when you get married, you have, you have other friends. You have other – this person will go here and do this with me, this person. Now you have kids, so you can't go anywhere and do anything. So life kind of pushes you towards this is my soulmate. Right. This is this is the one. Phrase, I hate it too, and, and celebrate. <laughs> right. Do you celebrate your soulmate? <laughs> but it's it's a beautiful, and it takes time. But you're right. It all all to say that that makes her more beautiful to me. Right. But I get it. Like because I mean, look at old people. Right. This is the direction we're headed. Mm-hmm. Right. If you think that you're going to dust it <laughs> off one day and be 22 year old Luke Tim again. Oh, uh, absolutely. You kidding me? <laughs> Immediately started flexing. <laughs> That was that was not intentional either. <laughs> oh, I'm almost still. <laughs> so I, I disagree a little bit with. I think it's important for guys like us to have, but I don't disagree that that we don't have anybody who compares to our wife that is a, another male friend. Pros and cons of not having other friends. Right? Yeah, and, and and the con is. You need to have you need to have friends. <laughs> yeah, you need somebody to to bitch about your wife to because that's. But like, oftentimes, I so I have a couple of guys. Um, you have a podcast. I have a podcast. <laughs> this, is, this is where I bitch about my wife <laughs> publicly. One forty four. So, yeah, but there is this. Um, I think it's important for guys to be able to uh, just express and get out there. It's like this – you got to get out of your body that I, I've got a complaint against my wife and so I've got a couple of friends who will do that with me and it's like it's it's just because they know I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to judge them and they're going to nitpick about their wife and be like, she always freaking leaves her breakfast dishes out. I'm like so that's your big complaint. Cool. No, that's – I'm with you. That's – How do you do it? Woo. <laughs> Every day you have to put a dish in the dishwasher. You have to you have to carry it from the table. Oh man, that is rough. Oh, that is rough. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it, they just they need to vocalize it. They need to get it outside, and I, that's cool. Go for it. Um, I think that's important for guys. Otherwise, they just it bottles up and it stews, and the little things just get bigger and bigger, and pretty soon it's. It's this monster. But we need to be told by other guys. Yeah, you're not special. Mm-hmm. Like that happens to all of us. It's fine. And that's critical to be like, yeah. And that's here's another thing that you know, for guys like us as pastors, we often I think get this projection on us that well, I mean, you guys' marriage is so wonderful, and I wish that you know we had. Man, our, our marriage is just as tough, just as crazy, gone through just as much weird stuff. I yeah, I mean, it is it is no different. So for me to to complain about a little thing for my wife is actually good for a friend of mine to hear. And they're like, Oh, so, cause I think there's this fear of missing out. Right. I think that, so there's this whole FOMO of a guy who's, and this is, this is our Instagram, Facebook world that we live in where somebody else is always posting something about their wife is amazing. 
amazing. And oh, can you believe I, I just cherish this woman? When, when I say that, I'm like, you're going to be in my office. We're going to be doing right. marriage counseling. Here it comes. <laughs> I always think that guy's is. just trying to get laid. <laughs> but it's no, there, we, we post that everything is so wonderful and what a great relationship. I'm glad for you. But I also know you're, <laughs> you're singing the praises of your wife, but. But your marriage, there are things about her that drive you crazy, just like everybody else, and and that's, that's okay fine. as long as as long as there's the trust that you're trying to be a better wife and I'm trying to be a better husband, and we're helping each other out because that's a goal that each one of us has. Yeah, I wrote this note down a long time ago <laughs> when you were talking. You said something. I instruct her; she instructs me. I think that is uh, incredibly important, and and I tell this to, to couples all the time: is that so? So my wife doesn't know how to be my best wife. She but needs, she wants to be. Right. So where is she going to get that information, Duncan? <laughs> well, Luke. <laughs> From her mommy? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's okay for Alyssa to tell me, like, can you do more of this? Yes. Thank you. I want to be a good husband. Right. Right, and you want to be a good wife, so I'm open to coaching. Yeah. Here. Don't Don't nag coach. Yeah, but like, but like, <laughs> learn how to be a good coach. Learn how to be a good coach. But you need the you need the information. Yeah, sure. And sure. This is again. I don't mean to to generalize women, but I find often that women don't appreciate that they need to teach us. And and guys, the guys' fault of it is guys don't like to be coached. We often want to think that we're the natural, we're the LeBron James. We don't want to be controlled. Yeah, coached is okay. Man, if you did this, man, I mm, yeah. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure most guys are like that. I think many guys, but there's a lot of guys out there who But we're worried about being controlled. It could be just fear the of being controlled. The toilet seat down. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> Why don't you leave the toilet seat up? Right. I got to pee too, you know. <laughs> but so but, women yeah. want men, I think in general. Again, these are speaking and sweeping generalizations. I know there is exceptions. Personally applies to all women everywhere. Personally applies to every woman ever. Um I feel like they want their guy to just know. This is this, you know, what's wrong, honey? If you loved me, you would know. No, that's not true. <laughs> like I don't know. Yeah, we're not holding back. Yeah, I'm <laughs> we're, trying to we, we are this dense. <laughs> And we just are wired differently. But we want to be good. Generally, we want to be good husbands. And and the here's a so we talk to our buddies about hey, what are you doing? Right, we do talk about this. Well, sure. And but we don't know. And and if you, as a woman, if there's any women listening to this, and I know there's not. <laughs> by this by this point, no, there's there's no. You're, you're running way. around telling your husbands, don't listen to this. Well, yeah, there. So I think that in a lot of couples that I that I work with. They're actually trying to figure out the woman is trying to figure out how to be a good wife to their husband. That's a good thing. So I'm I'm all on board. But then they go to someone else to try and learn how to be a good wife to their husband. And oftentimes that is to a mother. So the mm-hmm. mother-in-law starts to get involved. And I don't think that most mother-in-laws are have any nefarious thoughts. I think the problem is Mother-in-law has learned how to be a really good wife to her husband who is not me. <laughs> so thanks, but uh, that's not – you need to ask me about being a good wife and, and, I, and I can share that with you. Um, and I need to ask – because if I – here's 
the other problem out there is guys who are way too close with their mom after they get married. And this drives the wife crazy. But oftentimes what that is is the husband asking his mom questions related to the marriage to try and figure out how to be a good husband to his wife. But you, that's not how this works. <laughs> like She doesn't know how to be a good wife to your wife because she's not married to you. Different love languages and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, just different right. personalities, and different stages in life, different different cultures, all that stuff. I think there's incredible pressure on Christian wives. Mm-hmm. Pagan wives, I don't know. You're on your own. Like <laughs> I, you shouldn't have gotten married because you don't really know what you're doing. Stay hot. That's all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was rude. <laughs> but really, <laughs> wouldn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> if you're on the fence, right? <laughs> Um, there's incredible pressure for them to be the perfect wife, I think. Right. Because they go to the Instagrams and the Facebooks and they see other wives doing good wife things for their husbands. And I think there's a real, a real sense of if I'm not the perfect wife, yep. is he going to, is he going to stick around? Yeah. And like, yes, we are. I mean, if we're at all following Christ, Yes, we are. Don't worry about being the perfect wife. And I generally call all bullshit. we want to do. All we want to do is see you trying. Yeah. If we know that you're trying to be a good wife, we love that. And anytime I see, and and this is hard. I, I try and tell my wife this as often as I can. When I see somebody who is um, the perfect wife, and it's it's evident on Facebook or somewhere where I, I just knew that he loves this and that, and I knew that he loves this, and I knew that, he lo- and I go, there's mm-hmm. problems in that marriage. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's projecting to the world how great of a wife she is. She's trying to prove to the world that she's a good wife, and really. <laughs> The recognition of her husband that you're an awesome wife, right? Why isn't that enough, right? That's and most of the time it's it's a bunch of stuff that I wouldn't ever want my wife to do. But like, I don't want you to make some fancy four course meal. Like, I just want a burger, <laughs> right? I don't. Yeah, <laughs> that's not. Yeah, no. I. I'm so how a, do we let our wives know that you're doing a good? Because I I think they they do look for validation outside of us. That am I being a good wife? And how do we let them know you are beyond what I deserve? You're doing mm. a you're doing a fine job. You're doing great. I think I think the every woman is going to be different, and every marriage is going to be different. Um, the way that I think is best to communicate that is the the reciprocation of it, and um, so I don't need to affirm every little thing like oh I I really liked this meal I really liked this thing or I really like that thing I I try and approach it from the if I'm going to be the best husband that that I know to be because she is expressed in this way this is how you are a good husband to me dedicate myself to that and I think um, it just communicates to her that she must be doing a great job in this marriage because. He is motivated to keep working. He is motivated and and listening to me and being a good husband. So I must be doing something right. It's that simple. Um, but it's always that you know it's simple, but it's hard. You know, deadlift is simple. You just <laughs> pick that weight up, <laughs> pick things up, and put them. Yeah, down. but it's hard. <laughs> so if you put four hundred pounds on, that's hard. <laughs> you don't deadlift four hundred pounds. I deadlift four hundred. Do you four plates? 
Um, four or five. No, it's it's three. See, yeah. I'm trying to remember because three plates is three o five. Yeah, it's three. It's not quite four plates. Three though. plates is three fifteen. Three fifteen. So yeah. you have. So it's not four plates. It's three plus change. Yeah, it's not bad. I was noticing your glutes. I appreciate that. I've always had a great butt. I really do. My wife thinks it's cute. No, she doesn't. Probably not. That, that's probably a lie. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you be a good wife. Lie to me. <laughs> Just tell me I look like I'm 20. Yeah, remark at how, oh, there's, I can feel your abs. Underneath all that. Right under there. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. They're not coming back. (laughs) Nope, Uh, not even possible. But that's fine. Yeah, and and it's it's a weird dynamic because we do have this. Men are more physical, and women are often the ones who people say have the most body image issues. But men have a lot of body image. I was just reading about. um, You ever watch Jackass, the, the TV show, movies, stuff like that? There's a guy. Bam, I never know how to say his name right, Majira. He, he died um, because he's a jackass. And he had bulimia. And I was, I was shocked to read that but because um, I've heard before that there's a lot of men out there with body image issues. And I get it because it's, for us, it's not so much necessarily the attractiveness. For me, I don't, I don't have body image issues. I have body function issues. <laughs> I want to, <laughs> what are you looking for? <laughs> the little little blue pill. What you, <laughs> oh, I've tried it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um unimpressed <laughs> is, <laughs> is, is my final diagnosis on that. But it actually wasn't the little blue pill, it was the other one. Nobody talks about putting another story on the Sears Tower. That's all. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Or something. Yeah. Um, I, so let me let me build off that. I think you're exactly right. But I think the women's body, and again, all women everywhere, all men everywhere, <laughs> supplies to these. everyone. I don't care what you say, right? <laughs> no, but I think in general, women's body image issues stem from women want to be loved, men want to be respected. So men's, generally, so men's body image issues are, if I have a bigger chest and tighter abs than you, you're going to respect me because I can I can dominate you. I can smash. Whereas women's – bu- the culture tells women if you're hot, men will love you. Right. And so for them and, – and, and women will women will envy you. Right. And a lot of it has to do with, with being, you know, being attractive to women. They will envy you and men will love you. Right. Whereas for us, it's all about – I want to be. I want to be the big line. I want to be the line with the biggest mane, and all the lions like lay prostrate before me. It's a. It's a dominance thing, and it's a respect thing. Right. I don't get a hot body, so women will love me. I get a good body because I want to be respected. Yeah. See, for me, it's and this. This goes back into college. Is is at some point, I connected the dots between um, physical usefulness and uh, masculinity. So I, I don't – I really don't care what I look like. That's not why I lift weights. I lift weights so I can move heavy shit. Like that's – I love it. I, I get this little like – oh, hang on. I got to turn that off. What are you doing? Uh, This is embarrassing. That is the music that I left on there from the end of the last episode. Oh, well. 
That's just going to be an odd pause in the middle of our recording. <laughs> Quiet, you. There we go. Not quite ready for prime time. <laughs> this is still a little bush league, obviously. No. So, what else? so you like to lift heavy things. I I get a little shot of dopamine every time somebody says, "Oh man, I I just I can't move this." And I can. <laughs> Yay! Or you know, when somebody says, "You know, I need help moving," so would you? I go, "Yes, ask me for help pushing a heavy thing around because I, I just get this. I don't know. It's it's like being useful or um, being needed or something like. But I, I know that I, if I am stronger than someone else, I'm happy because I'm just a little bit more." Physically, in one in one way, a little bit more useful than that person. <laughs> Very happy about I it. I deserve to live. <laughs> Partially, yeah. It's like this. That's I found a place of value. I, I can push a heavy thing around. I can lift a heavy thing. So that's I don't. I really don't because I don't care what. There's one woman in my life that I care um, what she thinks about the way I look. And, and it all turns to muscle when the sun goes. Yeah, right. She doesn't care. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so funny because i mean she honestly um has that's just never been a thing for her she she's never been that that boy crazy girl never she's never been you know oh i think so and so is so dreamy or oh he's so hot like she's when i was dating her in college to today that's just not a priority of hers which is the best kind of woman to marry (laughs) for a guy like me i encourage people not to get married anymore i'm like well the good ones are taken (laughs) <laughs> if Alyssa was on the market, yeah, go get her. She'd be a great wife, but she's married. So why, uh, who else is left? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, no, for me, it was for physical strength was more, this is way off topic, but so I got picked on in seventh grade, uh. right? I was a big loser. And so I was like, okay. So I hit my growth spurt, went from like five, three to five ten in one year. That, that kind of stops it. Right. Yeah. And then realized if I start lifting weights, then I get bigger. And then, and so since then started lifting weights, uh, ninth grade went to gold's gym instead of doing a sport. So by the end of ninth grade, I was still five ten, which at the time was like bigger than Tall. most kids. <laughs> yeah. And I was putting on some, putting on some muscle. All of a sudden nobody's picking on you. Right. And then I decided, Oh, well this could be useful in a sport. Did a sport, did well in a sport. So that's kind of cool. I can be good at that. And then it became more of a, I kind of like this yeah. being, have a, a better physical prowess than most other people. Not, not, not top 1% or anything like right. that. Definitely not. But like just having a physical, no one's going to mess with you. Right. And, and since then I've never, I've never encountered, Hey man, nothing, which has been useful because yeah. I would lose in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and now it's more, you see other guys that are 40 going, I see guys that don't work out and it's not just, I'm going to lift this heavy thing more than this other guy, which is, which is useful. It's gosh, I mean, guys, bodies are starting to give out on them. Yeah. And I don't want that. I want to be able to outperform. Right. I want to stay alive. And I, and I would say that in the last, in the last probably three years, I, that has shifted. The, the good news is they don't compete. Those, those two, these two mindsets don't compete. Exactly. exactly. I, I'm also now at that point where I realize deadlift is good for bone density. And it's good for um, and, and having enough muscle is a valuable thing when I'm 60. And so if I'm going to mm-hmm. be there when mm-hmm. I'm 60, exactly, I got to be here when I'm 40. 
So, so it's, it's maybe like 80, 20, like 80% of it is I like being useful. I, I also, I hate asking people for help. I hate asking for somebody to help me move something. Like I want to be able to pick it up and move it and just get it done with. But yeah, a part of that has, has been this shift to a, a better, healthier life. Well, 10%, right or wrong, <clears throat> so you're a leader in the church. If you Having a physical presence helps to command a room. For sure. Right or wrong. I, I mean, I'm not saying that that's <laughs> – but that's the way it is. And so it's easier for us to be seen as leaders if we're not like this slump-shouldered, like yeah. pot-belly guy. Yeah, I – and there is a connection between physical and spiritual that sure. the Lutheran church and, and Western Christianity has seemed for some reason to ignore for a while. But I always, I always wonder if you're a, if you're a tubalard pastor and you're trying to, but you're super disciplined in all other areas of your life. <laughs> doesn't happen. Not likely. doesn't happen. But if, if, if you're trying to coach somebody towards um, spiritual health and you are physically unhealthy, people just take it less seriously. They're like, yeah, but the first the first guy. Uh, so I was in high school. He was the chaplain at uh, the camp I worked at, and I started listening to Nate Winters because Nate Winters was jacked. And I'm like, <laughs> spiritually, I don't right. know this guy, but physically, I'll follow his lead. Yeah. Right. So when he talked about Christ, I'm like, here's a guy who I want to be like, at least physically. Right. Now he's talking Jesus. Okay. I mean, that's part of the deal. I'm I'm all in. And yeah. it turned out that he was spiritually he was a stud. <clears throat> because he was disciplined. He read his Bible every day. Like he worked out every day. No, It's weird how it all, you can't compartmentalize <laughs> stuff. It all kind of comes together. Yeah. And, and I see that with guys and, and, and also just the mood you're in. I mean, if, if I don't, Alyssa will tell me like, go work out. You're, <laughs> you're crabby, right? I mean, the T scores plummeting. <laughs> At least you can work out. Right. And it does. I, I went for a run. I, you it went was, for it a was, run? It was ugly. It was it was ugly. It was more of like a waddle. A one mile controlled fall. <laughs> but you know, uh, but you, like you said, the dopamine, like you get you I get am. that endorphin rush of like of a good lift, a good run. You feel better. The, you're more pleasant to be around. Oh, and you, it clears my brain, opens up mm-hmm. my mind a little bit. Just to, my my thoughts are quicker. My um, writing is better. My my thinking for my sermons are better. So I lift, I work out Sunday mornings before church um, because, again, it just, I, I got to, like, it's almost like old cars with, you know, carbon in the, in the, you, you got to get out and just, <laughs> the <laughs> and carbon just get, blowing out the yeah, back. Yeah, just open up the, the carburetors and blow the carbon out. Just, I, I think better. I'm, um, I'm in a better place immediately after working mm-hmm. out. And uh, So what do you do Sunday before church? Usually deadlift. Yeah, usually, that's when I deadlift. And... A uh, rationale behind it is, um, it, it, I can do, you want to, well, yeah, but I don't, I don't want to spend a ton of time working out before church. I don't, I don't want to get like a two hour cause I don't want to be exhausted. Um, so I can't do like chest triceps and uh, <laughs> stuff. And so, um, I've got this little routine where, and I also don't want to do like legs and squats and stuff and then like be waddling around <laughs> the church. Like, hey guys. <laughs> Trying to get up the steps. Ow, ow. <laughs> Is he okay? <laughs> yes. I'm fine. Leg day. <laughs> Just leg day. So uh, I, I'll deadlift because that's I mean, it's primarily a, a back lift. Um, and then where I work out, they've got this rope climbing thing where it's 
it's just like a resistance ropes and, and that's it's great for back and a little bit of triceps and then you know just it's just kind of get the blood going i sit in row yeah it's <laughs> that's that's the motion i was get making the blood going. it's the motion i was making um and you ever do battle ropes no the big ropes i don't know what that works <laughs> but it's fun it's it gets your heart rate up i mean i think it's more cardio than anything um but I see people because if we call them battle ropes, guys will use them. I know. It's just, <laughs> we have this crap lying around. That's right. We were going to hang it from the ceiling. We <laughs> right. decided not to. <laughs> I love battle ropes. It's so much fun. It just feels cool. No, it's funny because Sunday morning, I'm uh, yeah. I mean, I'll hop on. I don't go to the gym, but we have a, a bike in the basement because mm-hmm. that's good for sitting on for your again for the T score. <laughs> but no, hop on that and just get the blood going Sunday morning. Like right. you get the indoor. Long enough that you get the you just, you just want the endorphin rush. Yep, pretty much. You're not getting in shape. You want the endorphin rush. You're rolling to church. You're like, I'm on. Yeah, I'm not waking up anymore because I've I've just been through a workout, hit the showers. I also love sauna. Sauna. We Sunday actually morning. bonded in the sauna. We did. We had we were moments. sauna buddies, dude. I'm telling you, the sauna. It's so good. It's so good for you. But yeah, yeah. So sex and marriage, for or against. Uh, for me, yes. <laughs> for Alyssa, <laughs> pray for the girl. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's so key points are you're never ready to get married. If you want to, if you're going to get married, get married. It's not a, it's the marriage. The wedding is not a big deal. The marriage yeah. is a big deal. Um, that being said, if you can avoid being married, script as a again, pagans, you're on your own. I I, I got nothing for you right. because you don't understand marriage because you don't understand the relationship between Christ and His church, right? And so I, I got no advice for you if you're outside of Christ. If you're in Christ, if you can avoid being married, avoid being married. Right. Because if you're not 100%, this needs to happen. Uh, 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 mm, mm, mm. But if if she's the one, if he's the one, this has to be it. Get married. Get married. Don't wait till you're ready because you're never going to be ready. There's always going to be something else you have to accomplish. Get married and enjoy the ride. Yeah. And, and encourage one another, pray for each other, build one another up, trust that they're trying to be a good husband, they're trying to be a good wife, um, and enjoy the ride. Yeah. And I, I, I think that it's critical to remember it's work. Yes. Discipline. Sex is discipline. It's work. It's, it is incredibly – sex in a relationship, in a marriage is incredibly important. And men and women both need to take that seriously. And it's it's not for guys can't just be like, well, I, I heard on a podcast I should have sex at least twice a week. I think you should. <laughs> that, that's a great thing. But it's it's not as simple as the act of, you know, tab A slot B. I, I performed the function because somebody said it was good for me to do and now it's over. No, no, no. The whole thing, sexuality and intimacy it's a deep topic. You have to explore it with your partner, uh, with your spouse in, in a, um, meaningful ways and take it seriously. And it's, it's not just a physical act. It's so much more than that. But if you want it to, to be spontaneous and natural, good luck. <laughs> Get to work. Because <laughs> guys, foreplay is all day. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and some of that <laughs> crockpot versus microwave is how my wife describes it. There you go. <laughs> my wife is a crockpot. I'm a microwave. Yep. All right. 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 So that's crockpot microwave. (laughs) Go get him, tiger. All right. This is enough of this. All right. Let's do this again next week. Um, Who do you have on next week? I was going to see if if you want to come in and kind of do a part B to this. 
which I think would be a conversation about gender. Yes. Gender roles. Yeah. Um, Same-sex marriage. Cool. All the weird stuff. Let's get kinky next week with Luke Tim. This week was good sex, but next week we're going to get kinky. All right. Enough of this. (laughs) Thanks, Duncan. (laughs) Well, there you have it. Uh, Hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, Yeah, you know, maybe not the smartest thing for two dudes to sit down and talk about sex and marriage without another gender present, but eh. Whatever, that's our perspective on it. Um, hope you enjoyed that. And as usual, if you want to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook uh, or you can check me out on Twitter at Luke underscore Tim or Facebook, or I'm sorry, or Instagram is uh, Luke underscore Tim as well. Or shoot me an email at all the things with Luke Tim at gmail.com for any feedback or questions you might have, things you want us to cover, or if you just want to yell at me for some of the stupid things we said during this podcast i don't care it's up to you but um uh yeah again next week duncan will be back and we're gonna get into um some more stuff that is a little bit more culturally relevant and maybe a little bit more controversial whatever um till next time thanks appreciate you guys bye